we're going to talk about the future me. And I, I don't know if I've ever done a service, uh, a series like this before. And next number of weeks, we're going to be talking about the future me. Now, before we talk about the future me, and before we even deal, deal with, you know, 2021, I want to take us back to 1974. Can I take us back to 1974? Um, I found a quip um, from a famous baseball player. If you know anything about Yogi Berra, this beautiful baseball player, inspiring character. But he said back in 1974, he made this quip, the future ain't what it used to be. <laughs> you know? I thought that was really funny. And, and you know, I, I even looked up 1974. I said, what was going on in 1974 for him to make such a comment? And really, it wasn't, it wasn't that exciting a year. I think the most exciting thing on the worldwide stage was, you know, the, the U.S. President Richard Nixon um, uh, was resigning because of the Watergate scandal. Um, you know, there are other minor things, you know, the Apollo missions are still going to the moon at, at this particular time and, and stuff like that. But I'm thinking, what, what in 1974 would, would drive a person like Yogi Berra to say the future ain't what it used to be? And, you know, I dug a little deeper and he actually gave an interpretation of that particular thing. He said, I'm not talking about the future in, in the sense of it being either good or bad. It's just that it's so different. The world is changing so much, it's, it's, it's different, you know. There was a sense of, we, we, we knew what, you know, kind of the future was like projecting towards. But, you know, for Yogi Berra, for, he, he made that statement that things were just so different. And there wasn't this comfortable, comfortableness about the situation and the circumstances that were happening at the time. And I thought, you know, if, if, if he's going to say that about 1974, what can we say about 2021? Okay? The future just ain't what it used to be. You know, for, for many of us, you know, uh, prior to this pandemic, we had a sense of some control about, about our future. Like I could, I could place something on the schedule, you know, three months or four months from now and be pretty confident that I was going to be there for that particular meeting or whatever. We could plan a holiday a year out and just say, this is the week we're going to take holidays and all this kind of stuff. And we would have some sense of control about the future. And then, and then, but then all of a sudden, things that appeared to be so easy for us or so controllable for us, small things... Um, like, like the things I just mentioned, all of a sudden just are thrown up in the air and it, it, doesn't, it doesn't have any you know, bearing on today at all. And we just don't know. You know. We would have loved to have been back in England a few times with a new grandson over there. We haven't been able to be back at all. And it's driven us absolutely crazy. And I can't believe for, for years we were able to go back and forth to England and not even think twice and just a matter of did our schedules allow it and, and all this kind of stuff. But here we are. And in fact, we're now in a process where we don't know if these lockdowns are going to go even further than what they've already communicated. So there's a lot of stuff happening today that would have been predictable, you know, just scant months ago. So the future ain't what it used to be. Now, for some of us, you know, who struggle with a sense of anxiety or a sense of loneliness and a sense of depression, you know, 
Um, there are things that are happening right now to sort of escalate that within us. And the more powerlessness that we feel about tomorrow and the days that lie ahead, the, 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 the easier it is for us to slip into, you know, times of anxiety, times of questioning, times that, that are excessive worry. And, and, and if those continue long enough, you know, we can get burnt out, we can get stressed out, we can become depressed. And, and the minute that there's no sense of control of the future, we, we have this sense of powerlessness. And when we have a sense of powerlessness about the future, what ends up happening is that we start losing hope. And that's, that's kind of like the progression that happens. The more powerless we feel about tomorrow, the easier it is for us to let those feelings come to the forefront and the more hopeless we become. Because when we feel helpless, we in turn begin to feel hopeless. And that's the problem with, with, with looking towards the future is that we gauge so much of the future by what is happening to us right now, right here in the moment. Now we're going to, you know, for the next number of weeks, talk about how the present does affect us. And, and, and what does the Bible have to say about projecting into the future? Now, some of you have had incredible losses in this last season that we've experienced. And for you to think about tomorrow is just simply a reminder of the emptiness or the things that have been lost in this last season of your life. And they're not easy things to think about, and they're not easy ways of moving forward. But can we talk a little bit about the hopefulness that we have? If you're a believer here this morning, you cannot despair in the moment that you have to live with the understanding and a sense that tomorrow is in the Lord's hands. And tomorrow is a day in which God has authority and, and power over. And that there's always a sense of hope where God is involved. And I want to just move us in that kind of direction a little bit. And, and, and just give us a biblical picture. You know, if, if you wanted to improve yourself, if you wanted to, you know, say, uh, you know, I don't like certain things in my life and I want to do better, you know, some of us uh, or, or many of us go to people like Tony Robbins and say, how can I, you know, better myself and better my opportunities and look at gurus and stuff like that um, about, the, about the future, right? And that's only natural because that's, that's what they do for a living. But did you realize that the Bible has so much to say about how you can take today, better yourself so that the days that lie ahead are better days than what you presently are experiencing? And I want to do this in a way of encouraging that we can look to the future, that we can look at tomorrow, that we can anticipate, even regardless of what is happening today, that God has us purely in the palm of his hand and he's moving us towards a better future all the time despite the difficulties and the stresses that, you know, we experience in our lives. So I want to take us to, you know, a, a, a passage um, in, in the Bible um, out of the book of Romans. Now, the book of Romans is this really incredible book written by a man by the name of Paul, um, who was an apostle of Jesus Christ. And he wrote this book to the believers in Rome, and it's, it's a deeply theological book, and that's the way it's been 
portrayed over the centuries is because if you want to know what it means to be a Christian, the values that we have, if you want to understand the doctrines and the theological moorings that, that define Christianity, then the book of Romans is this amazing book that, that, um, that has taught these things over the centuries. But what we sometimes forget about the book of Romans is that it's got so much practical element to it. The, the Apostle Paul didn't just sort of like do this academic dump and, and you know, this, this academic uh, exercise and then just leave it at that. He said, because of these particular truths that we hold dear, because of these doctrines and this theological moorings that, that we hold ourselves to in understanding what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means uh, in our everyday lives. This is what it means when the circumstances and situations uh, happen in our lives to challenge what we believe, challenge what we value. And, and Paul wrote these incredibly powerful uh, truths that I want to kind of unpack a little bit as we start talking about um, what the future me should look like and, and what, what we can look forward to when we trust ourselves to the Lord. So um, let me start first and foremost in uh, Romans 13. Now Romans 13 is an interesting chapter. If you are part of life groups, um, I've, I've got you reading the entire uh, chapter. We're only going to look at verses 8 to 14 uh, in this particular message. But if you're a part of a life group, you're going to look at the entire chapter. And the first seven verses of chapter 13 are really uh, hotbed verses in today's culture because it's all about obeying the government and obeying the authorities that are over us and what it means to be a Christian, that you, if the, it, you know, the authorities above us and actually challenges us about who put those authorities in place in the first place the first place, that God is sovereign, that God has ordained these governments and these people who are in authority over us, that he's actually in control of it. So this is, you know, a hotbed kind of theological thing to be reminded of today, regardless of how you think, if they're right or wrong or any of that kind of stuff. It actually challenges what we believe, who's in control of the entire world, okay? So that's a really important thing that the book of Romans unpacks. Uh, you know, and, and again, um, there's all kinds of ways that uh, you can unpack those particular seven verses, but I'm, I'm not going to do it here this morning because it does call into question who's actually in control of our government situation. But, you know, Paul kind of pivots from that, and then, and then he talks about these partic this particular verses in, in section that I want to look at. Uh, this morning and, and beyond. Uh, so let me just read this for you. He says, Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. So you say, okay, what are the requirements of God's law? You know, God's law looks like a really big tome because it's the Old Testament is what a lot of people would, would naturally assume. But here's but here's how Paul kind of like gives the summary of what he's talking about. He says, for the commandments say, and he's now pulling stuff out of the Ten Commandments. And this is what he says, for the commandments say, you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such commands, beautifully, beautifully done as a summary, 
are summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, wow. If you, if, 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 if you remember that, that uh, you know, a, a, a religious lawyer asked Jesus, what's the most important commandment uh, in the entire Old Testament? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God, all your heart, mind, and soul. And the second is just like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. So here's the Apostle Paul taking the entire and, and mimicking the, the words of Jesus as the summary of the entire Old Testament and the, the, you know, the summary of the entire commandments. If you want to fulfill the commandments of God, you do so by loving one another, by loving God and loving one another. Love does no wrong to others, so love fulfills the requirements of God's law. Now you see, when you like that's a really powerful statement because most of it would say, you know, fulfilling the requirements of God's law is if I take my sacrifice and I offer it up on the altar. And and when 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 that sacrifice is complete, I'm fulfilling the requirements of the law. Requirements of the law would be that on certain days, certain festivals, certain feasts, certain requirements, you know, this is how I act, this is what I do, this is you know, how much I give, this is how much I serve, you know, all those kind of things. But, but in, this, in this really succinct statement, it says that love does no wrong to others. Love fulfills the requirements of God's law. You know, I, I believe Jesus at one point had said, had made a comparison that if you, if you go to give your offering, or, or go to the altar, go to the temple to give your sacrifice, but you have something against your brother. Jesus said it was best for you to go reconcile yourself to your brother and then come and do the sacrifice because that's how you fulfill the law of God. And that's at the heart of the entire Bible is this thing that, you know, is, is all about love. And for Paul... You know, he starts this whole thing, says, owe nothing to anyone, okay, however you want to talk about. In other words, pay your taxes. He just got done, by the way, telling people to pay their taxes, to, to you know, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, give to God what belongs to God, that kind of, that kind of thing. And then he says, owe nothing to, to anyone. And he says, the only debt that never gets, gets kind of finished, that's a never-ending debt, is the debt of love. But that's the debt that continues. That's the first point I want to make in this particular thing, is love is a never-ending debt. That is something that, at the forefront of what it means to be a Christian, that that should be what categorizes you as a human being. You know, it's, it would be wonderful if when people said, you know, do you know any Christians in your life? Yeah, I do. Well, how 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 would you describe them? And it would be wonderful if people say, well, they're very loving people. If there's one thing about Christians that love is what permeates their entire existence, that they have this sense of care, that they have this sense of, of you know that when you're in their company, they care about you, that there's some genuineness about what it is that, that motivates them when they get around others. 
that there's a sense that they owe you something. And what it is, is they love you, you know. And, and that's what Paul is talking about. And I, I find it very startling that in the midst of this chapter where Paul is talking about some really deep things about the sovereignty of God and governments and all that kind of stuff, he reminds believers, people who profess to be Christians, that love is a never-ending debt. You know, recently, the CCNL, that's Christian Churches Network of London, which, you know, uh, is, is an organization where all the churches in London sort of like kind of get together and have a thing. Um, they had a newsletter out this week, and I love the newsletter because it, it quoted Shane Claiborne that was at a um, Veritas meeting in the forum in December at King's College, and it quoted a statement that he made during his presentation that I thought was really beautiful. It said, the gospel spreads, this is what Shane Claiborne said, the gospel spreads not by force. Now think about that. The gospel doesn't spread by force. The, 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 the push of Christianity into the world as the most prominent religion in the world you know, should never have, is not something that's done by force. It's not by military force or government sanction and, or any of that kind of stuff. But by fascinating people, by fascinating people with the love that we show one another. Imagine if the world was fascinated by Christians because of the way that we love one another. Now, that doesn't mean being soft. and like You know, um, there's just so many ways that we distort love. But it means being caring for other people in a way that shows how much we value them. Okay? Um, but that's, that's the never-ending debt that... Paul communicates here. Um, and I kind of wonder if he, if he makes this statement because he knows people are probably going to argue with him about, should I you know, respect the government? Should I take care of, you know, should I pay my taxes? Do I, you know? and, and the thing is, is when we push back in this particular way, we're pushing back more because it's in our, our self-interest it's in our protectionism more than anything else, as opposed to Paul reminding us that if we're truly caring for other people, that there is an element of us willingly surrendering ourselves to the authorities that God has put in place. Willingly giving to what you know, is required of us to be part of the community and, and, and the countries that we say that we are part of. So those are, those are some pretty hard-to-manage realities, but it, they're hard truths about what it means to be a Christian in, in, in you know, whatever culture. And remember, Paul's living at a time when Nero is, you know, he, he gets beheaded by, by Nero, right? It's not like the government of his day is, is totally in favor of Christianity in the first place. In fact, it's persecuting Christians at this time. So how could Paul, at a time of incredible persecution of the church, make such a theological statement in the way that he does? So it's very important. But here's, here's the, the next section that I want to unpack for us. Uh, 
So Paul says, so this is all the more urgent for you to know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. And for Paul, the day of salvation, um, you know, he talks of it in terms of the return of Christ. You know, this is an eschatological kind of statement, right? Now, Nepal's not necessarily, I'm, I'm, I happen to believe that, that the way that the early church lived is, is they lived in such a way that they would communicate that Christ would come at any time. It wasn't like they predicted it was going to be soon, but it could be soon. And that's the way they lived their lives. They lived their lives that every day was a gift from God, and at any moment, Christ could return. And that's why there was this kind of sense of urgency. And, and, and we've kind of gotten lax with that sense of urgency because it's been 2,000 years. It's you know, the same message. But the reality is Jesus could come back tomorrow. Some of us right now wish he would come back right now <laughs> and get this mess over with, okay? But that's just the reality. So the night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living because we belong to the day. We must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties, drunkenness, or sexual promiscuity, immoral living, or in quarreling or jealousy. You know, you know what Paul's actually saying here? He's actually saying, you know, if you become a believer, don't ever go back. Don't ever go backwards. In fact, that's the beautiful thing. You may, in difficult situations, right now, some of you are going, you know what, I was more comfortable a year ago. I would rather go back to that. You know, there's just something about going backwards that's abhorrent to God. You can look back to see at the, the, the things that God has done in order to recognize that God is capable of doing that in the future. But I'm not sure there are many Bible passages where God just wants us to go backwards in our lives. There's just always this movement kind of forward to better ourselves, to see the new things that God is doing, to, to you know, open up new doorways and new opportunities to, to, to move the gospel and to move ourselves into a more holistic way of living that God is always pushing us towards. And that's kind of like Paul said, it's what Paul is saying here too. You're a part of the day. You're no longer part of the night. Live those righteous, you know, in, in a way that proclaims that light to other people. If you go back, there's absolutely nothing that says to other people, this is worth going forward with. Instead, Paul says, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's interesting the way that the, the, this particular version has expanded on that, but the Greek actually says in this particular portion, it says, put on Christ. Put on Jesus Christ. That's all it says. It just says, put on Jesus Christ. It, you know, like this is, this is the new kind of wardrobe that you live your lives. It's, it's the wardrobe of light. It's the wardrobe of righteousness. It's the wardrobe of Jesus Christ. That that's what, you know, that's what you move forward with. And don't get caught up, okay? And don't let yourself even think about ways to indulge your evil 
evil desires, you know? So Paul, in this beautiful kind of reminder, he does this, this kind of, um, you know, this is what you were, this is where you are, this is what you put on, this is how you move into the future. Don't let those things, you know, take up any more of your time. In a physical way, don't even let them enter your mind so they prompt you, you know, to move in that direction. It's never about going backwards. It's always about moving forward and getting better, getting stronger, getting deeper in your relationship with Christ. So, um, you know, uh, this is the statement I want to I make. Like, if you want to future-proof your life, you future-proof your, your lives when we live in the fullness of Christ's redemptive work. That's, that's the beautiful thing about this particular uh, section. To put on Christ is to put on the fullness of Christ's redemptive work in your life. You know, talk about the past. You know, here's, here's the past, you know. Um, how many of us uh, allow the past to kind of determine our present or, or determine our identity or determine, you know, our value as human beings, you know, whatever mistakes, whatever, all, all that kind of stuff. But Christ washed us clean of the past. That's what Paul is basically saying in this particular, particular, you used to do these things, you kind of don't look back at those things. You've been washed clean of that. You've been redeemed of that. You've been forgiven of that. That past no longer identifies, classifies, or, you know, has authority over you any longer. That past is done. You learn from it. It it brought you to the place of salvation. It brought you to a new hope and light in the person of Jesus Christ. But don't, you don't ever have to go back there. It may be a reminder of what, of what Christ has done for you, but you don't go back to that. That's how that redeeming work of, our, of, of the things of our past have been forgiven by God, and we move forward. Dr. Henry Cloud just recently wrote this. Don't use your past to construct your future. It means you are prioritizing fear over risk and reward. Is the future risky? Absolutely. But without that risk, you have no reward. Or very little reward. Yeah, the future sometimes is unknowing and hard to see the full picture. But any one of us know that sometimes when we step out and we step out in faith and in trusting God, we are blessed or we're rewarded in ways we could have never been had we not stepped out in the first place. That's the beautiful thing about this particular passage. What about the present? We're redeemed in the present, forgiven in the present. It affects, living in the fullness of Christ affects our present reality. You know, there are many people just so overwhelmed by, the, by what is happening and the difficulties of what is happening. But our present is transformed because we know in many ways that God has this in the, in the palm of his hands, that God is the one that, that, that our hope is placed in, not in, you know, the, 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 you know, the machinations of this world, that we have a hope that extends beyond our circumstances. And, and again, 
how does it affect our future when we live in the fullness of Christ? There are many of you that have, have suffered incredible loss in recent days, months. You know, this past year has been just trauma-inducing for, for many. And yet we have the promises of God for those who've placed faith in Jesus that there's an eternal hope that it's never a goodbye it's just see you sometime later. Maybe now we have a, a, a sense of separation, but that's not always going to be the case. So living in the fullness of Christ's redemptive work affects our past, it affects our present, it affects our future. And it gives us a whole new understanding. Okay? So... Just let me give you two things really quick um, that I think we need to switch our focus. If you're, if you're really struggling and you think, I don't even want to think about tomorrow because I can't even get through today, here are two things to switch. You know, Right now, this is what you should focus on. You should focus on what do I know and what can I control? What do I know and what can I control? If you're a Christian here, you know, Here's what you know. You know that God loves you. You know that you've been redeemed from your sins. You know that you have been forgiven. You know you have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. You know that you can pray at any time. And you can, you can you know, place your, your, the weight of the world that you're living with into the very hands of God. And God will hear you. And God will answer you as he sees. There are just so many things that we know as Christians here today. There's a, a, a comfort in knowing that we are lived, loved beyond comprehension. And what can I control? I can control, you know, my, my prayer life, you know. What you can control is your perspective, which is vitally important at this particular time. I, I read again recently uh, the story of Viktor Frankl. Uh, if you know who Viktor Frankl is, he uh, was a world-class, world-recognized psychiatrist, and uh, he was really influential. But he, he was in the concentration camps in, uh, in, in Germany uh, during the Holocaust, and Frankel survived them and went on to become this really influential psychiatrist. But what really was, was so um, dynamic about this person is that at a time and in a place where he experienced incredible suffering, incredible horror, incredible evil, he had, he had this attitude that allowed him to survive when other people, just because of the circumstances they were in, absolutely fell apart. They crumbled and, and you know, they were just overwhelmed by the situation and the circumstances they were found in. And what he noticed and what he saw, it wasn't like a majority of people, but what he witnessed was this certain people who just had a totally different perspective on what they were experiencing that absolutely transformed everything that, that he, he witnessed. For the people who changed their perspective and, and, and focused on the, the things that they could control 
whatever or however small they were, they were the people that were far more resilient in, in those situations than anybody else. If those people, you know, no matter how, how small it was, um, Frankel learned if you lear- looked at purpose in the smallest thing that you could control, that made all the difference in the way that you saw it. It was like just, just the way you cared for a friend or the way saving a scrap of string that he witnessed somebody saving a scrap of string. I might need this later as a, as a positive outcome. You know, the things that he could control, uh, those kinds of things just help the survival rate of so many within the camps. And he used that as, 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 a, as a means of his, of his whole life philosophy. However small, however little, however insignificant to other people, if you can just focus on those things, those, those things that you can control, they make such a difference in your life. And those are the things that help carry you through very difficult circumstances, even circumstances as horrific as what Viktor Frankl witnessed in the Holocaust. Because what I know and what I can't control are two ways that we can look to tomorrow and look at it in a positive way and stay healthy for the future and see God's hand in everything that is happening. Now, I don't know about you, but just like Yogi Berra, the future ain't what it used to be. (laughs) But I do know some things about the future. I know who has it in the palm of his hands. And I do know the things that I can control. The rest I can trust God with. And the rest I can give to God. Because there's no better hands to place my future in than in the hands of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the words of the Apostle Paul. And in his wonderful way, how he communicates these important Christian truths and then translates them for us in very practical ways. And Lord, we know that there are people who are really struggling. Um, Just being able to manage the day-to-day is so hard. Their routines have totally been upended. Just surviving for some people is really a difficult thing. Some are struggling with loneliness, depression, anxiety, the struggles of, you know, what tomorrow is going to bring. But Lord, I pray. I pray that today they would be reminded of your care, that they would be given tools through this message of how to manage, and maybe be encouraged to just keep going. There is an end to this. There is a hopeful end to all of this. But Lord, um, we just need to be reminded that you are in the midst 
of every day, every situation, every circumstance. So, Lord, we commit this to you. We thank you for this series, and we pray for the life groups as they gather this week and dive deeper. I pray it would be a blessing to each and every one. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.